Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. Good morning. How are you this morning? You have to forgive me. I am one of those guys that speaks with my hands. So if I drop the mic, I'll just keep going. Someone can pick it up and give it to me. I am also get a little excited from time to time, and so I have to, I have to pre-warn you. I know it's COVID and all those things and all that stuff. I get a little excited that we call this the splash zone. It's like SeaWorld. You know what I mean? So we get a little excited and we start foaming at the mouth. It's not a demon. I just get a little excited about the things of God. Amen. So we'll get some paper towels and we'll clean you up real well. I'll be honest with you, it's a pleasure to be here. I uh, thank Pastor Steve and Pastor Joel and Katie and the church in general. Uh, I, I don't want to do a shameless plug for the camp meeting at Likens Valley, but um, I need you to know that um, my wife is the president of the campground. I am the spiritual director. A couple of years ago, we would feel like God really asked us to use a campground to reach the community, to, to, to bring a sense of unity and, and to really make a difference um, in this community. It wasn't existing for itself. Okay, I just have to put it out there. So many times the church exists for itself, and we totally miss what God wants. And I want to encourage you as a church this morning that, that God has great things for this church. He doesn't want you to exist for yourself. He wants you to exist for the kingdom of God. He wants you to exist to do great things for him that one day you'll stand before him, and he'll look you in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I am blessed to be here this morning with my wife, Cindy, my daughter, Lydia. My other daughter has had her first sleepover. Pray for mom. <laughs> my oldest son is 25. He's on staff at a church in South Florida where their weekly attendance is 35,000. So he runs a youth program and a uh, young adults program. They average about 220 at their campus for young adults. God's moving powerfully. They're seeing salvation, they're seeing healing, they're seeing deliverance, they're seeing incredible things. So when Katie said, let's pray for generational, I am blessed that I have a generational family. I didn't come out of a generational family, I didn't come out of a family that served God, I didn't come out of a family that knew anything about Jesus, I'll be completely honest with you. And I want to share a message today, and Katie said, you said have an hour, where's Katie at? You said have an hour to an hour and 45 minutes? I know, I'm sorry. She said, she said, I have 45 minutes to an hour. Gotcha. I'm just teasing. <laughs> just like Katie's like, oh my God, look at him. I don't believe he just said that. But we were blessed uh, last night. We are, we are friends with uh, Marcus and Brenda Digart. We're also friends with William Wood. And we had an incredible uh, dinner last night with Marcus and Brenda. And I'll be honest, I didn't have a title for this message, but we just indulge me for a minute, and maybe at the end of the, the service, we have the worship team come back. Anybody know what today is in church history? Pentecost Sunday. Wow. The birth of the church. Can I be honest with you? I think it's time for the church to be reborn. I think it's for the church to, to, to not ask for a new Pentecost. I think it's time for the church to embrace the Pentecost that already happened. I think it's time for the church to arise. And then we sing that song. It says, give, give me vision. Let me see things like you do. 
I promise you, Scripture says, all creation waits in eager expectation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. I can tell you in the midst of the darkest time we're in right now as a nation that people are crying out, and we need to have the vision that God has for our community. We need to have the sight that God has for our community. We need to start, I, I, I didn't mean to get cranked up so quick. We, we, we just have got to get to the place that we begin to ask God, God, let me see the brokenness of our community. Let me see the destruction in our community. Community. Let me see the destruction in our families. God, let me begin to see your healing touch. Let me begin to see your restoration. Let me begin to see your reconciliation. I don't know about you. I don't want to be a part of a church that does not have the heart of God. I can go to any Sunday service, anywhere I want, sit down, make a laundry list of things I need to do this week, walk out and not be changed. And neither will my community. I can tell you, I think it's the greatest time in church history, and I, I want to share my, my testimony just for a few minutes, and I really will try to honor our time this morning. Anybody ever been to a place called Ocean City, Maryland? Anybody? I grew up in a little town called Ocean City, Maryland. My dad wasn't saved. My mother wasn't saved. And as a child who raised himself, how I many you know Ocean City can be the devil's playground? And I'm just going to be completely honest with you. And I got to the place in my, in my life where things had really gotten to be a mess. And I had a friend who invited me to church. And I said, can I be honest with you? It's like one of these churches. I said, I'm not going to church either. Those people are crazy. They raise their hands. They speak in tongues. They roll around on the ground. I'm not going with those crazy people. And lo and behold, here I am. 20 some odd years later. And I'll be honest with you, I, I went to church because I lost a bet. I, I, I used to like a lot of things in life. I used to like drugs, alcohol, women, gambling, anything in the world. And I lost a bet to a, to a girl one time. She said, uh, I want you to come to church with me. And I said, I'd love to, but I can't. And she said, uh, Joe, we had a bet. You lost the bet. And how about if you pay up? And I always carried a few thousand dollars on me. I mean, I, I had a wealthy business and was doing well. And I said, I put in my pocket, what do I owe you? Take whatever you want. And she said, I want you, your money, I want you to go to church with me. No can do. And I'll be honest with you, I, I, I really, I didn't want to go. But she said, Joe, are you a man or not? Wow, that hurt. <laughs> I took a deep breath. I said, sure, I'm a man. She goes, a man would keep his word. Man, this girl was working me over. Actually, God was working me over through this girl. We, and so I went to church on Father's Day, 1997. And I remember walking into the church, and the preacher preached the message on fathers. His has had great fathers, and I, I knew there was about 300 people in the church. I knew about 80, maybe 90% of them. And so I went into this church, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, here's all these people in me. And I was completely terrified. And I remember walking into the church and the pastor preached a message on Father's Day. How many of you guys had great fathers? You know, they're always there for you, man. They loved you. There was your baseball game. They were everywhere. I mean, your dad was like your best friend. And I'll be honest, I was sitting in the chair in the back row and because that's where all good Christian people hang out. No offense. And I began to sink in my chair just a little bit. How many of you guys uh, had good fathers? They, they always supplied for us. They always made sure you had the best of things, but they were never there in, in your life. They were never at your baseball games. They were never here. They were never. And I'm like, how many of you guys you know, had those fathers? And again, I know the 300 people in the room, and probably 30% of them raised their hand, and I just sink a little bit farther. 
And he goes, how many of you guys had fathers, excuse my language, that just sucked? And my first thought, I began to cry. I'm like, how does he know my dad? True story. How does he know my dad? He's never there. He was never for, was never for you. He never went to your ball games. He never showed up. How does he know my dad? And he goes, hey, I, I want to tell you that there's this heavenly father that loves you just the way you are. And my heart began to break, and I'm bawling in this church. I'm, I'll be honest, I'm freaking out. I'm afraid they're going to lay hands on me or try to cast something out. So I sneak out the back door. I get in the car with this girl, and she goes, how are you doing? I'm like, <laughs> great. <laughs> I mean, I'm like snotting it all up. And we go to dinner, and we go to lunch, and then I go back the next week, and Man, the same thing happens. So the first week I cried for 45 minutes. The next week I cried for 20 minutes. One more week I'll have this church thing licked. I won't have any problems. I won't have any issues. But I'll be honest with you, I was so diligent because I had been touched by God in such a way that I read the Bible three times in three months, front to back. I just consumed the word. I just—I mean, every day of my life, I just read the word, read the word, read the word. I couldn't get out. I couldn't get out. And, and how many of you guys have a life verse? Anybody have a life verse? Someone shout out, what's your life first? The quicker you speak, the quicker we get done. Awesome. Who else? Go ahead. Okay. Who else? I'll be honest with you. I read the Bible. Go ahead, sir. Wow. That's awesome, man. And I'll be honest, my, my favorite verse was Acts 1.8. Anybody know what Acts 1.8 says? What does it say? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be witnesses to what? How many of you know everyone likes power? And I'll be honest, I didn't grow up in a charismatic church. I didn't grow up in Pentecost. I'm like, that. I can live with that. I want, I want some power. I, I, want, I want the presence of God. I, I want, come on, let's just be real. And I'll be honest, I had a construction business, and, and we did very well, and, and I got radically saved in, in 1997. In 1998, I went to a place called Brownsville in Pensacola, Florida. Anybody know about Brownsville? You been there? Them people are crazy. But they're crazy for Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, again, man, I'm a new Christian. I, I've been saved less than a year, and, and i got to back up just a little bit. I got saved July 24th, 1997. Ready? October 10th, I get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Right? October 12th, there's a missionary in our church. He goes, hey, there's this girl who came in was demon-possessed. Ready? Man, the people I was worried about, guess where they're at? And so I went into the, the church, and they said, who's Joe? And, I'm, and, and the, the pastor, that Joe's a new guy in our church, and well, God spoke to me, and he needs to deliver this demon-possessed girl. I get saved in July. It's now October. I'm like, oh, Jesus, what have we done? My family thinks I'm crazy. My mother works at a, a mental institute in Baltimore called Shepherd Pratt. She wants me to come in for a psychological evaluation. <laughs> True story. Before God. Please forgive me. I wasn't very modest back then. I probably struggle with a little bit now. And so I would go into Shepherd Pratt, and I would pray as I went down the hallway. I would plead the blood of Jesus, and the demons would begin to bounce off the walls. I mean that. I wouldn't do it today. I'd probably be a little bit more gentle. I'd probably be a little bit more loving and kind. But at that point... I knew there was something that God had deposited in me. 
that he wanted to use to change the world. And so I went to this place called Brownsville, and it was a pretty amazing place. And the, the great part about Brownsville is that when you went to Bible college there, you had classes four days a week, and you did ministry four nights a week. And so part of the ministry we did, we, um, I have no idea why. I, I got on two ministry teams. One of them was the deliverance team. Yeah, that's what I said. And then one of them was a team that received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'll be honest, we had a lot of guys who would come in and they would try to mock the presence of God. And, and I won't mention any denominations, but guys who didn't believe in the gifts and didn't believe in the Holy Spirit. And they would come in and we would pray for them. And all of a sudden you see these guys and they'd be laying on the floor and they'd be shaking. And the first thing they would do, they'd look out the corner of their eye and like, where's my buddy at? Because he's going to go home and tell my preacher. And his buddy would be laid out next to him and boom, 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 boom. They would literally just fall out on the line. And we had an opportunity to travel. We had an opportunity to go places and to make a difference. And, and I'll be honest with you, I got to travel around the world. I've been to somewhere around 18 different nations. And I've seen God do some amazing things. When I was at Brownsville. Have anybody here the Argentine Revival? We got to be a part of the Argentine Revival. I traveled with a team. I led a team down there from, from Brownsville, the school. And, and I'll be honest with you, I remember going into church services. And, and we would go into a service. And this one particular service, we were in there worshiping. And it was going to be a healing service. And all of a sudden, you could just feel the presence of God come in such a powerful way. And, and all of a sudden, a, a cloud came into the sanctuary and just settled on half the sanctuary. And then everyone on that side of the sanctuary got healed, and no one ever laid hands on them. We went into a village in one city, and, and there, we began to pray for healing for people. And, and there was a witch doctor in the city, and, and we couldn't figure out what was going on. So we just began to pray, and, and we said, hey, we need to pray for the witch doctor. We need to find the witch doctor. And no one would tell us where the witch doctor was. And so we went into this little village. And as we went, we began to pray. And, and we, we quit praying for people. We said, God, you have to get ready. God, give us what? God, give us vision. Let us see things the way you do. As we knocked on the door and the witch doctor was in the house. And we knocked on the door. And all of a sudden, he started going into epileptic seizures. And we walked in. We told the witch doctor, hey, man, God is here. And God wants to set you free. But if you don't, the enemy is going to try to take your life. And this guy was ash gray. And he was just, he was, he was just literally, they have olive skin. And this guy just began to, to, to shake and began to, and he knew that there's a seizure the enemy is trying to, and we, we said, no, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day to give your heart to Jesus Christ. And so the man, without prompting, walked over to his idols and grabbed him and threw him into the fire. And as he threw him in the fire, his skin went from ash gray to olive. And I could tell you a hundred stories of going overseas and God moving in incredible ways and God doing amazing things. I mean, the lame walk, the blind eyes saw, deaf ears open. All those things were just absolutely incredible, absolutely amazing. I went to Brownsville for two years. I got done. I went to, to South Africa. I worked with a Greek group called Teen Challenge. We worked with drug addicts and prostitutes in the third world nations. I did that for two years. I came home. I was exhausted. True confession. Had a friend who had a condominium or had a townhouse on 67th Street. I called John and Karen and said, God, I don't know what's going on, but I just need to take a break. And I went to their townhouse on the third floor. I remember like it was today. This was right around 2000, maybe early 2001. And I sat on the bed, and I cried out to God. And my exact words were, God, for all I've done, I've failed. 
And if this is Christianity, I don't want it. Can you imagine? I had seen signs, wonders, and miracles all around the world, and yet somehow felt like a failure. I remember laying in that bed and began to pray and said, God, why have I failed? Anybody know what 1 Corinthians 13 says? What does it say? And I began to realize God began to speak to me and said, Joe, for all you have done for the kingdom, you have not loved. It frightened me. It frightened me so bad that I got in my car and I drove to a woman who was my mentor. And she was, she's now 85 or 86 years old. And so back then she would have probably been in her late 60s. And I, I, listen to me. Anybody hear the, the audible voice of God or very close to it that you know it's him? And I heard that voice, and I got in my car, and I drove 70 miles an hour to this woman's house. And I wanted to, and look, I am terrified. And I, I go to knock on her door, and she said, Joe, come on in. But before you come in, there's something I need to tell you. I forgot to tell you. I didn't know how to love. Can I tell you the church, I believe, is at the same place we don't know how to love? It's not to criticize. It's just the truth. So what you understand is my mother left when I was 10 years old. Just walked up, got out, see ya. My father was a drunk. I raised two brothers from the time I was 12 years old. My life was a life of survival. My life was a life just getting through from today till tomorrow. There was no hope. And so what happened was all of a sudden power became hope. Do you got me? How many of you know that the word power, when we look at Acts 1-8, there's a, there's a Greek word that goes to it. Anybody know what the Greek word is? Dunamis. What does dunamis mean? What, what English word do we get from dunamis? Dynamite. Now, Pastor, I don't want to mess up our feed, but what would happen if I just lit a stick of dynamite and walked over and handed it to you? You would throw it. You're not allowed to throw it, ready? You got to what? I say that for a reason. When we look at the word dunamis, it's power, but can I tell you that power can be destructive in the hands of the wrong person? Can I tell you right now, the problem with the church is that the world sees the destructive power of Christianity and not the life-giving power of Christianity. And somehow there has to be this transition. There has to be this place where it goes from dunamis to blow things up to, to, to dunamis that's transformative for community. That God, God begins to release his power that's birthed out of the word we call love. So I went to Carolee's house, and she said, Joe, before you open your mouth, she said, something I need to tell you. She said, what you're getting ready to go through is the darkest time of your life. Do not blame the enemy. It's of God. Wait a minute. I grew up without a mom. I grew up with a dad who was a drunk. How bad could it be? I found out quickly. Because all of a sudden, I wasn't godly enough for the church. I was too, too godly for the world. And guess what? Nobody wanted me. 
I spent 18 months in isolation. I spent 18 months literally just me and God. And, and I'll be honest with you, my, my whole heart was, God, let me fall in love with you. Let, let me understand. Let me see. Let me be a part of. I don't want to just be a church guy. I just don't want to walk in power. I want to be able to feel when you're in the room. I want to be able to feel when you're speaking to me. I want to feel when you're there to hug me. I, want, I, I, I just This God that I serve, man, it has to be this intimate thing. It just can't be another religious thing. We could do that anywhere. We could do it in the Hindu church. We can do it in the Buddha this church, but God is not that way. And for 18 months, I tried to fall in love with God. Actually, I did. And I went to a church and I went to the pastor and he said, what are you doing in my church? I said, I'm here because I want to fall in love with Jesus all over again. He goes, will you do this? I'm like, no, I won't do anything. I won't take up the offering. I won't pass a plate. I won't serve communion. I won't teach Sunday school. I'm going to come here and I'm going to worship God and I'm going to fall in love with him. And I can promise you one thing. If I never do ministry again, it's okay because we're going to be like that. Does that make sense? Yes, no, maybe. Work with me. See, my church is a little different. It's about 40 or 50 people and here's the reality. Uh, I believe if I ask a question, I want to Answer. It does me no good to preach and have you walk out the door and say, what the heck was he talking about? What are you doing here? And I'll be honest with you, coming out of signs, wonders, and miracles, I really struggled. And, and, I, and I really, really, really was done with that part of life. And, and I wanted to fall in love with God. And, and I felt like, forgive me, I felt like dunamis separated me from the love of God. It hadn't, but maybe for a season... I went through the 18 months of trials and tribulations, 18 months of just sheer heck on earth. But I fell in love with God in such a way that at the end of the room, I could feel the breath. I could feel the wind. If I went to pray with someone, I could feel what they were going through before I laid hands on them. I got to this place that there was this incredible love fest, this incredible opportunity to, to just know Jesus in a new way. I resigned myself to say I would never, ever, ever, ever be involved in signs and wonders and miracles again because I'd seen it abused. And so I did the right thing. I pastored a Methodist church. It was safe. I'm not slamming the Methodists. There's some really good people in there. And so I went to this little Methodist church in the middle of nowhere, and this hurricane came through. And I'll be honest with you, it was a, it was a, it was a disaster, to, to say the least. And when we got back in the church, there was a gentleman who came to our church. His name was Lem, and Lem came into the church, and he said, Pastor, I'm dying of cancer. So Lem, I'm sorry to hear that. He said, Pastor Joe, if you don't pray for me, I'm going to die. I said, Lem, what do you mean? He goes, for, forgive me. The Lord spoke to me and said, if Pastor Joe prays for you, you'll live. If he doesn't, you'll die. Ready? What do you think about that one? Huh? Whoa, right? I said, Lem, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be, Lem, I'm sorry about your luck, pal, but I'm not praying for you. And I remember Lem having tears in his eyes and goes, Pastor Joe, I really believe that God spoke to me. At that moment, I said, Lem, no problem. Uh, come to the front and we'll just pray for you. And, we, and this was on a Sunday and we prayed for Lem. And he went back to the hospital. He went back to, to have surgery the next day. They had PET scans, they had MRIs, and everything you can imagine. He had cancer throughout his body. They said, hey, Lem, I'm Dr. So-and-so, and we have your PET scans, and we have all your things, and we have all the things you need to, to, to make sure this is you. And he goes, yes, that's me. And he said, chances are you won't make it through the surgery. 
So they operate on a lamb, and they, they, they cut lamb from, from here to, to his belly button, and open him wide up. And lamb said, he remember right, right before he went down, because he, he went down, he woke up, and there was two doctors and three attorneys standing over top of him. True story. And Lem said, hey, what's going on? And he said, well, I'm Dr. So-and-so, and I'm Dr. So-and-so. He goes, yeah, but who are these three? He goes, there are attorneys. He said, Lem, we, we don't know what to tell you, but, you know, we have your PET scans, we have your MRIs, and everything that, that the, the cancer you said that we, that the cancer we said you have, we went and opened you up, and there was absolutely no cancer left in my body. And so Lim, the attorneys are here to figure out how we can settle this before you sue us. And Lim says, why would I ever sue you? The Lord Jesus Christ healed me. He's greater than your medicine. And it led me on this place where I began to realize that power that comes out of love is transformative. But power that comes out of power is destructive. I'm just putting it out there. Get mad at me if you want. I don't really care. And so what I began to talk about and began to think about is we, it's Pentecost Sunday. We talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm here to tell you today that I firmly believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is God's actual love being poured in us and through us that happens to result in power. Are you with me? The problem with the church is we focus on power and we don't focus on love. Ready? L- love is the output. Excuse me. Love, love is the input. Power is the output. Too many churches focus on the output. You know, I shook, I quaked, I did this, I did that, but there's no transformation. I can tell you that I can scripturally back that up. If you look at the 10 lepers, all 10 of them got healed. How many of them came back? Why? That was a question. Come on, someone be brave enough. Ready? All of them got healed. All of them experienced power. I truly believe one experienced the love of Jesus Christ that transformed his life forever. Are you with me? I am all about healing. I'm all about miracles. I'm all about the presence of God. I'm all about the power of God. But without love, it is absolutely nothing. What does your community need now? How many of you know the world is a messed up place? Whose fault's that? Wow, some people are honest. How many think it's the church's fault? If I could put both feet up and stand on my head. I, I believe with all my heart that the church has completely failed the, the nation. I believe the church has, has taken the back seat. We're so afraid to be offensive. We're so afraid to do the right thing. We're so afraid to love. If I love, what if they shut me down? What if they turn? Ready? Who cares? Ready? How many of you guys believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? How many of you, come on, I'm just going to put it out there. How many of you guys have been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Do you understand that you have the love of Jesus Christ living and flowing in you and through you? So it's time for the church to begin to think about the love of God flowing in me and through me to transform community, and the power will come, but it's a byproduct. We live in a fast food society. Give me the end product before I drive through the line. That just doesn't work, people. I love you, but I'm just going to be honest with you. And I'm to the place in my life that, that I made a decision that, that no matter what, I'm going to love people and love them well to the best of my ability, no matter what it looks like. They tricked me. They put a little side thing here. I punched a glass a minute ago. She even told me, be careful.
So I pastored a Methodist church for years. The church went from 40 to 150 in about six months. We had so many people coming, literally, that we had to put people in the parking lot. We had guys showing up on Harley-Davidson, still strung out from the night before, not knowing how to get into church. I've never been into church. What do I do? Put a kickstand down, and we had people who would walk people into the church. True story. We had mixed races. We had, I mean, you name it, we had a gamut of people. We had guys who, who had never been in church before, and, and God just began this incredible work. And yet the church wasn't very accepting. The church wasn't very loving. The church wasn't very kind. To the point, in love, I invited 50% of them to leave. 75% of them loved. I figured God bless me. But now we had something to work with because the people really wanted to see transformation. They wanted to see change. It's not about the size of your church. It's about the size of your heart. It's about the, God, the vision that God's given you for your community. It's about the love that he's placed in you. It's about what God wants to do through you, in you, and through you. And it's so much greater than you could ever imagine. I'll never forget. I put my arms around these two young girls. They were 13 and 14. They gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. It was February, and God spoke to me and said, Joe, resign your church. I've got a wife, three kids, two car payments, the house. I'm like, God, you're crazy. And I remember having a board meeting on that Monday night, and I'd been on a 21-day fast, and I got to the place, and I was day 20 was Sunday, and day 21 was Monday, and I was going to resign my church that night, and I had a Korean guy I had met twice, and for about 15 minutes each time, and I had to come down and tell my wife that I was going to resign the church to do what God asked me to do. Knowing that we had children and houses and car payments, and I was terrified. As I came downstairs, I had tears running down my face, and on my kitchen counter, I had my phone, and the phone rang, and I saw a number I didn't recognize, and I picked it up, and he goes, hey, Pastor Joe, this is Charlie. Charlie's a Korean dude. Hey, Pastor Joe, this is Charlie. Hey, Charlie, how are you? He goes, hey, I pray for you this morning. He said, the Lord told me to give you $30,000. Is that okay with you? I said, what? He said, the Lord told me to give you $30,000 a day. Is that okay with you? I'm like, yeah, Charlie. I said, can I ask you a question? He goes, the true story. Charlie, what am I supposed to do with it? He goes, I pray the Lord told me to give it. You ask the Lord what to do with it. Bye. But here's what I know, that God honors radical obedience. I know that when, when, when God says to do something, our first response should always be what? Yes and amen. Are you with me? Are we making sense? I'm trying to put like 20 years of things together in just a few minutes, and it's really, really, really hard because I went from an hour and 45 minutes to 45. Just kidding. But, but I, want, I, really want to, I really want to share this because what happens is I live in a community that is racially divided. If you look at, at our community and you look at the race riots in 1960, they started in our community. Every race riot in 1960 started in Cambridge, Maryland. When you look at the treaty that gave African Americans the right to use the restrooms, it's called the Cambridge Treaty that started in our community. And I began to pray, God, why do you want us here? And I believe that God's trying to bring the body of Christ together no matter what color you are, no matter what economic background you're back. But it's not going to happen if we can't begin to love one another as he loved us. 
And so we have this ministry, and I'm kind of fast forward a little bit, because what happens is the church is very good at meeting on Sunday morning, but my question is, what are we doing Monday to Saturday? Quit looking at your preacher saying, hey, Pastor Steve, I got a great idea. Do you ever do that, Pastor Steve? Pastor Joe, I got a great idea. Pastor Katie, I got a great idea. You come to me and say, hey, God's given me a vision. God's given me a great idea. I'm like, great, man. We'll bless you. We'll supply everything you need. Go and do it. Because here's a reality. We are called the body of Christ. No one is exempt. And every gift that you have, everything that you possess, needs to be advancing the kingdom of God in your workplace, in your homes, in your businesses. I have business guys who are millionaires who are now leading Bible studies, leading their workers and their customers to Jesus Christ. It's not a Sunday morning thing. It's an every day of the week thing. So when it says my heart is to train and equip the saints for the work of the ministry, that's what we're called to do. Are you with me? I'm not trying to beat the church up. I'm not trying to defend Pastor Steve. But if I'm defending you, I'm good with it. And I share that for a reason, because what happens in a community that's so divided, in a world that's so crazy, and I'll be honest, in a town that's so racist, how do you even begin to approach? How do you even begin to think about, God, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to change and transform this city? God, it's your heart. I know it. God, it's your desire. I know it. Ready? I, I didn't have this plan, but they sang this song, give me vision, let me see the things like you do. God, give me vision. Let me see like the way you see. And all of a sudden, I'll be honest with you, we got a phone call from the public school system. Where's the one place God's not allowed? Public school system. And this woman called me and she said, hey, Joe, things are a mess in our public school system. I really would like to meet with you. Hmm. I'm sorry. There's separation of church and state. No, there's not. And I went and met with this woman, and, and, and look, it was, it's a troubled city school, and, and I went and met with her, and her, her name is Stephanie. I said, Stephanie, how are you? And I introduced myself, and, and she said, Pastor Joe, we're in trouble. What are you going to do? I'm like, can I love you? She said, what? She was looking for a plan. She was looking for a program. She was, let, let me throw money at it. Let me do I'm like, hey, can we just love you? And she looked at me dumbfounded and said, how are you going to do that? I'm like, I have no idea. But I knew that God told us to go to the public school system. I knew he told us to make a difference. So I met with Stephanie. And I'll be honest with you, we just began to, to build relationships. And then out of the clear blue, was all, this is in October, it was right around Christmas. And she said, hey, uh, Pastor Joe, we have some families that are in need. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I said, how many families do you need? She goes, well, we have like four families and like 12 kids. I'm like, that's great. We can afford that. And so I'm like, Stephanie, we'll supply families, uh, Christmas for the families. Don't worry about it. It'll be okay. And, and, I, and, and she goes, okay. And then a couple days later, she called me. She goes, hey, Pastor Joe, okay, I got a question. Can you take on some more families? Sure, Jesus. True story. So I go to my board and say, hey, guys, we need, we need some money. We need to figure it out. And they're like, hey, we got it. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it all out. A couple days later, she called me. She said, hey, Joe, I got some more families. So now we're at 16 families and 69 kids. We're a church of 30 people. Jesus, you better show up. Jesus, what do you want us to do? We, I want you to love them. 
And so we literally bought gifts for 69 children and families, and, and we went around, and we began to distribute them, and, and the school was a little skeptical. How many of the school board was real skeptical? And we began to meet with families, and we'd walk into some of these houses, and one of them still had dirt floors in this day and age. And the woman had cancer, and we walked in and said, hey, we came to give you Christmas, but can we give you Jesus? Can we pray for you? And we began to pray for this woman. She began to, to weep. And guess what God did? He healed her. Why did he, why did he heal her? Because he loved her. Are you with me? It's not about power. It's about love. And we went from place to place to place. It was just a powerful move of God. We never went into a house where we did not pray for someone, where the presence of God did not come and saturate them with love. Whether they got healed or not was not, forgive me, wasn't overly important, that they needed to know the love of Jesus Christ. How many of that created a little bit of a stir in our community? Who's that church think they are? What are they doing? The ministry said, I don't care what they're doing is working. And it's changing our community. And I'll be honest, our, our community is really difficult, like a lot of communities in this day and age. And, and so we're praying, you know, God, what do you want to do here? So it's February, and I'm going to get in bed, literally getting ready to get in bed. And God said, I want you to give $50 gift cards to every person in that school. What? So I called the school and I said, hey, I, I, need to, I, need to, I need to talk to you. I need a list of every person who works in this school. How many people work in an elementary school of 400 kids? 83. I said, God, what do you want us to do? He goes, I want you to get $50 gift cards and I want you to write a personalized letter to every single staff member and tell them how much I love them. So I got my church together. I got the ladies together. Ready? How many of you guys, we can't write? It's ugly. Just keeping it real. And we got letters, and we get, all of a sudden, we just began to, and this began, listen, I'll tell you, man, I know you guys are a prophetic church. And people just began to prophesy to these teachers how God created them and God gifted them to be a teacher and how they felt called to do it. And they were going to change the next generation. They were going to be the champions for the next generation. And how God was going to do incredible. This is a public school. I'm like, wow, man, thank God we got through that. Problem is, how many of God's not done? We do one event and say, hey, man, who we did our job. We're out. And then all of a sudden, April comes around, and God's like, I want you to do a catered meal for every teacher in this school. God, it's just, ready? God, it's just what? It's just food. Do you really want us to do that? And so we called a catering company, a guy we work with, and I said, hey, let's do a catered meal. And I went to the staff and went to the administrators, like, hey, you're going to do what and why? Ready? You're going to do what and why? We're going to supply a catered meal for you because God loves you and your people need to be encouraged. So we did the catered meal, and I'll be honest, we, we did it in shifts, and, and uh, I was a little tired. We, we, we really spent a lot of time in the school system, and we got to the last shift, and I sat down at a table, and there were 17 people at the table. And I could see they were talking quite a bit and having conversations quite a bit. 
And there's one other Christian woman, so myself and 15 unbelievers, at a public school on public property during school hours. And so I sat down with them, and I said, hey, what's going on? They're like, hey, I got a question for you. Why are you doing this? Do you really want to know? Absolutely want to know. I want you to know how much God loves you. I want you to know that you are not alone. I want you to know that we as a community are behind you, and you guys are going to impact the next generation. And my job is to make sure that you know how much God loves you and how much he's going to use you, whether you know him or not, to transform this community. And this teacher said, and all of a sudden, for 45 minutes, I'm having a Bible study in a public school, during public school hours. Don't tell me God can't. It's not that he can. It's that we won't. Since then, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Ready? They came to us and said, hey, Pastor Joe, our, our, our schools are really struggling. Hey, can you, true story, can you do a prayer meeting for our staff people? Oh, absolutely not. We said, sure, absolutely. So you started a prayer meeting in one school, and then it went to two schools, and then it went to three schools, then it went to four schools, and then it went to five schools. Every Monday we do prayer meetings for staff people. The presence of God shows up, people get, excuse me, people get healed, people get saved, people get encouraged at a place where they say God cannot go. Does this make sense this morning? I want to encourage you. Even just two days ago, I got a phone call from the, from the school board. Hey, Joe, we're having some big issues and we need to do some redistricting. Would you come and be the liaison for the church? Whoa, you, you want to do what? You want me to come in and represent the churches and bring the churches together so we can partner with you. Right? We do Sunday school in three different church, excuse me, three different schools every week. We do a thing called Child Evangelism Fellowship. We have 20 to 30 kids who show up every week and they hear the message of Jesus Christ after school every week. Why? What do our kids need more than anything else? We are a fatherless generation. We are a motherless generation. The one thing they want more than anything else is they want to be loved. Are you guys with me? Does this make sense today? This is it hot in here or is it me? It's me. I know. Can I be honest? I was nervous about coming here today. I was nervous about sharing what God is really doing because our biggest opposition comes from the church. I'm, I'm just keeping it real. I want to share one more story. Katie, what time are you? How much time do we have? I can get a 12 if I want. I have a couple stories I want to share. So, in our community after COVID, there was a lot of violence. In a three-day three day period, we had five people shot on the, the, the street. Look, I, I want to back up. The town I live in, the main street is called Race Street. And they put Race Street in to separate the races. That's how bad it is. And so we have, uh, we have some gang. Anybody here of the Crips? Anybody here at MS-13? We got local, boys, local gangs called the Doc Boys. What do you do? What do you do? 
how do you, how do you reach them? And so we had a series of shootings in our community. And it was bad. And a number of pastor and church leaders called me, forgive me, forgive me. i got to be careful. I'm real, and I don't want to be insensitive. Please understand, I was raised by an African-American woman as a young child. I've always had a heart for the African-American church, the African-American community. That's why God's placed me where he has. And so all these pastors, we'll say Caucasian because that's politically correct, decided they wanted to go walk in the prayer meeting in the middle of the hood. They never go in the hood any other time, but now all of a sudden they want to walk in the hood. And so I'm like, man, this is not wisdom. And so I play a game called pickleball. Anybody hear a pickleball? Don't do it. It's addictive. And so I was playing pickleball, and literally as I was playing pickleball, I was getting ready to leave, and God spoke to me and said, go visit the Crips. What you talking about? Anybody remember that show, what you talking about, Willis? And I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And so I got in my car, and I drove a couple blocks, and all of a sudden I heard that voice say again, go visit the Crips. I'm like, devil, you are a liar. I drive a couple more blocks, and all of a sudden I hear the voice that says, go visit the Crips. I said, yes, sir. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. It was in the middle of the daytime, right? But I'll be honest with you. As a fat white guy who can't run, I was a little concerned. And so I took my truck. I drive a pickup truck. We're allowed to be rednecks where I live. Even as pastors, I drive a big pickup truck. I pull my pickup truck on the curb. I put my lights on and my flashers on in front of where the Crips hang out. I want to make sure everyone knew I was there in case something went down. And so I get out of my truck, and, 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 and as I start to walk to this place, I won't mention the name. I'm trying to protect them as best I can. I start to walk to the guys, and all of a sudden, there's these two big African-American dudes that got their arms crossed, leaning up a car and says, son, what you doing here? I said, I can't. Nope, you're in the wrong place. I didn't get anything out of my mouth. Nope, you're in the wrong place. I said, uh, no, I think I'm in the right place. Son, did you hear us? We're telling you you're in the wrong place. I said, no, I'm not. And all of a sudden, they unfolded their arms. They had baseball bats. I'm like, oh, Jesus. And like, who are you looking for? And I said, so-and-so. And they're like, how do you know him? I said, I don't. One of my buddies told me to come and see him. Who's your buddy? And I mentioned the guy's name. And he cussed. I won't, I won't say what he said because we're on camera. He said, oh, shoot, kind of. You must be Pastor Joe. I'm like, what? And he called me into this room, and we walked back in this room, and he put his arm around me and just said, smile. I didn't think anything of it, you know what I mean? And, and, I, and I walked in, and I saw the guy who's in charge of the Crips. I said, hey, I, I got a question for you. I know this sounds really crazy. I said, but, you know, things have really been bad on this street. Their business is on that street, right? I said, you know, you guys don't need this. It's not good for your business. Well, I was a preacher telling them that dealing drugs and all that was bad because people were getting killed. Now the cops are going to show up, so you, you need to work with us. He said, what? I said, it's not good for business. It's not good for the community. Our young people need to quit dying. I said, and these people have come and said, hey, they want to do this. Forgive me. Can I just be real for a second? Please don't get offended. All these white lily pastors who never come out of the white lily church is now going to walk in the hood and pray. Somebody's going to get hurt. And I said, look, man, that, 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 look, these guys are street guys, and look, you can't go in there and talk Christianese to the hood. I'm just being real. 
I said, man, these white little pastors, they're going to come in here and it's not going to go, it's not going to be good. And he said, what do you want? I want you to tell me whether or not it's okay. He said, why would you come to us? I said, because our politicians do not run the street. The churches do not run the street. You run the street. And if you give me your word, I'll trust you. Are you with me? He said, I got you. And I respect you. I said, you sure? He goes, yeah. I said, we're praying tomorrow night. You're going to be there. Yeah, I'll be there. And I'll be honest, I walked up, and all these pastors were there, and these people were there, and I'm looking around, and guess who ain't there? But I figured maybe God set us up that way because God has a tendency to do that. So we walked around, and we began to pray for about an hour and a half. We walked through the city. It was just a powerful night of prayer, and all of a sudden, we got done, and I'm talking to one of the ladies there, and this guy walks up, and he goes, hey, Pastor Joe, what's up? Listen to me. I'm just using the language he used, okay? Hey, Pastor Joe, what's up? I'm like, not much, man. What's up with you? I didn't know him. And so I continued talking to him in conversation. He goes, hey, Pastor Joe, what's up? Dude, I just told him, I don't know what's up. Hey, Pastor Joe, what's up? I said, okay, man, can we just be honest here for a minute? I don't know who you are. You obviously know who I am. That makes me a little nervous. And he told me what his name was. I'm like, mm, I almost said his name. I'm trying not to. I said, oh, you're with so-and-so. He goes, yeah, man, I'm with so-and-so. He was the second guy in charge of the Crips. He said, here's my two boys, Boomin, and they mentioned their names. He goes, we walked with you for an hour and a half to make sure that you were protected. Do what? The Crips are protecting the preachers to pray for God to move. Quit looking with blinders on. Begin to see what God sees. Begin to see what God sees. He sees restoration. He sees healing. He sees holiness. He sees a move. Quit being intimidated by the world. Sorry, sometimes I get excited. Sorry if I blew up your speakers back there. Send me a bill. I'm telling you from, from the bottom of my heart, that, and all of a sudden he goes, hey, you guys can't leave here. And they took, they took two of their guys and they walked us to the car because they knew it wouldn't be safe for us to leave. Can you imagine the cribs protecting the kingdom of God? How many of you know that would have been good enough for most people? God's not most people. So we stayed in contact with them. And we met with them. He said, Pastor Joe, I've spent eight years in the federal pen. The other guy said, I spent six years in the federal pen. I said, man, I, I just want to know, want you to know how much we appreciate you. How can we love you and how can we serve you? You know what he said to me? No one's ever loved me. No one's ever respected me. No one's ever cared for me. Dude, you're white. What are you doing here? I said, Jesus doesn't know color. Jesus knows his creation, and he knows his children, and you guys are leaders, and God has called you to lead this community for the kingdom of God. He looked at me and said, Pastor Joe, can I tell you something? I'm like, what? He goes, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ when I was in prison. I'm saved, and I'm born again, and I don't want this life for my community. I don't want this life for my kids. I don't want this life for anybody. He goes, I know no other way. I said, hey, why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you pray about what you want to do? I said, we'll make it happen. He said, what's that? I said, you name it. 
You make it happen. So he called me a couple days later. He says, hey, Pastor Joe, I want to feed 50, ready, 50 of my family. You know I'm talking about family, right? He ain't talking about the family. We're talking family. He's talking about his family. I said, well, feed 50 of your family. What do you want? Whatever you can give me. So we got 50 food boxes, and they were jam-packed full of just everything you could ever imagine for Thanksgiving. Better, it was a better Thanksgiving than I had in my own house. And we went to distribute them, and he goes, hey, Pastor Joe, I've got this crazy vision. Now, I want to tell you that the black churches are now coming against me. The black community members are now coming against me. What are you doing? Have you lost your mind? How do you think God is in this? I said, what do you want to do? Because we want to feed the people. We can do that. I said, what do you need? And he gave me a whole list of things, like a, literally a truckload of stuff. And we got it, ready? The Saturday before Thanksgiving, the gang members who led the Crips, who were hated in the community, fed 750 people in the midst of the most broken street of our community. And they did it for the glory of God. They don't care about your power. They don't care about your signs and wonders and miracles. They care whether or not you love them. The signs, wonders, and miracles will show up. Ready? We got it backwards. It follows the preaching of the word, not before the preaching of the word. I can tell you that the last week they called me. Come be honest, when the Crips call me, I get a little nervous. Because I always ask us to do things that are just like way out of the box. And so I met with them. I said, hey, you know, what's going on? They go, hey, we, we have this idea. I said, what's that? He said, um, the violence is out of control and the murders are out of control. And we want to bring an end to it. So we're going to call MS-13. And we're going to call the Crips, and we're going to call the Doc Boys, and we're going to bring them together, and we're going to have a festival in the middle of the street with the sole purpose of asking them to lay down their guns. <laughs> to what? You got to understand it. God's vision is bigger than our vision. His heart is bigger than our heart. He's looking for a church just to say yes and. So this summer we will do a festival sponsored by our church slash nonprofit that will bring gang members together. Ready? I say this all the time. Please forgive me if you get offended. It's time for the church to begin to love the hell out of people. Because if they don't have Jesus, all they have in them is hell, and they don't want it. They don't want it.
these gang members want another way. They want another opportunity. So I went and met with them. I shared this with Pastor Steve and Pastor Joel. I went and met with them one day, and all of a sudden my picture began to show up on Facebook and Instagram and social media in the hip-hop arena. I'm a rapper. <laughs> I, couldn't rap, I couldn't rap a present, let alone rap. I started getting these phone calls from guys in South Florida that I knew and guys in Delaware I knew and in different, different parts of Maryland. And, 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 my, and they're sending me these pictures. Like, I got guys, literally, one guy's company is probably worth, I know he turned down $250 million for it. And already my picture shows up on his phone by a mutual friend. He goes, Joe, man, what's the deal here, man? And these guys are saying, Joe, what are you doing? And, and so I'll be honest with you. I walked in and I said, hey, you know, what, I won't mention his name. Hey, man, we, we, we have a meeting. I said, hey, can I ask you a question? I'm like, yeah. He goes, hey, man, I, I know you and I are like, we're tight, right? He goes, yeah. I said, I got one question to ask you. I said, my picture's showing up all over social media with you. That don't look too good for me. And it looks real bad for you. And he said, no, Pastor Joey started laughing. He goes, Pastor Joey, that's your passport. I said, what? He goes, that's your passport. That gets you in the hood, and that gets you out of the hood, and no one will ever lay a hand on you. See, what you have to understand, when God's called you to something, he'll give you the provision to carry it out, and he'll protect you in the process. Are you with me? And this man just began to weep and began to cry. He said, no one ever respected me. No one ever loved me. He said, but you respect me and you love me and you don't judge me. And tears running down his face. And he said, if you ever tell anybody I cried, I'm going to revoke your passport. <laughs> True story. See, what I know is the world is dying. It's dying quickly. And it's not because God has quit. It's because we have sat down. I know this is pretty heavy. I got time for one more story, right? We good? I, Dave and Lori have heard this before. So I believe that God, you know, how many of you know, it may know the slogan for Walmart? It's a saving place, right? How many of you know Walmart is the saving place? It's not about saving money, it's about saving people. And I'll share the story because it's kind of funny, and then we're going to close. And uh, uh, Is Joel still here? I want you guys, if, if the worship team can, at, at the end, to play, to play that song about Give Me Vision. I want to share one more story because I, I need to lighten the mood up a little bit for myself because it can be pretty heavy when God's asked you to do things that you're uncomfortable with. Ready? I left my comfort zone 20 years ago, and I've never been back. My only comfort zone will be I'll take my last breath here. I'll take my first breath in heaven. I'll be comfortable there. Ready? Kick your comfort zone to the curb. And so my son attended a school in, in 30 miles from us, and I love my wife dearly, but my wife would always say, Joe, don't be late. Pick her son up and don't be late. How many of you know the reason she would tell me to never be late? Because I'd always be what? I'd always be late. And so one day, I'll be honest with you, she said, hey, I need you to pick up 10 things at Walmart, which she says, don't talk to anybody. Right? I go to Walmart, man. Someone's going to hear about Jesus. True story. I'm going to give them Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm going to preach to frozen vegetables. I don't care. 
And I went into Walmart, and I'll be honest, I had 10 things on my aisle, and true story, and I, I, went to, I, went to push my, I went to push my card into the, the express lane, right? 10, I, I'm like, I can make it. And I went to press the, the card and uh, push the card in, and I got there, and there was a couple ladies in front of me. I'm like, I got plenty of time. And I heard that voice that said what? Don't go in that lane. Devil, you are a liar. My wife told me I better not be what? But I knew the voice of God. And I pulled my card out. And I went to the next express lane. And I heard that voice say what? Don't go in that lane. Do you know my wife? And I love my son. I love my son. But he loves to get me in trouble. I said, Alec, if I'm ever late, don't call your mom. Call me. I'll tell you where I'm at. I'll tell you I'll come and get you. So all of a sudden, I get a phone call from my wife. Guess what? Alec was disobedient. Mom, Joe's not here to get me. I said, I can't talk right now. I go to the next lane, and there's the women with carts full, and God said, go through this lane. I'm like, there's no way, man. My wife is going to be furious. But I knew it was the voice of God. And so I waited, and now my phone's ringing and blowing up, and, like, I just want to throw the thing out the door. I mean, the punishment's coming. I love her dearly. She's not that way. But, I mean, I know that I'm in trouble. And I pushed the cart to the, to the woman, and I said, Hey, how's your day? She said, it's horrible, and you wouldn't care. I said, what's going on? She goes, you don't care? I said, yes, I do. You, I, I couldn't tell her the story. I said, what's happening? And she had an accent. She said, I came to, to study to be a nurse. I mean, I got like five women with carts fulls behind me at this point. And like the last thing you want to do is have some guy carrying on conversation about Jesus at Walmart. I said, what's going on, baby? She said, man, I come, I get straight A's. I go to take the test and I freeze. I said, can I pray for you? And she said, what? Yes. The problem is when most people say, can I pray for you? And the person says, yes, they think you're going to do a what? Later. Not my world. Not my world. If God says pray, I'm going to pray when? Right now. I said, hey, can I pray for you? And she said, sure, sure, but I pray myself. I said, well, I was obviously from Haiti. I said, before I pray for you, I know you pray, but there's a lot of witchcraft, a lot of voodoo in Haiti. Do you pray to Jesus Christ or do you pray to a foreign God? She said, I pray to Jesus. I said, can I pray for you? She goes, yes. So I grabbed her hands over the, the register. I said, God, will you bring back everything to remembrance? God, your daughter has loved you. God, she's served you. She's trying. God, is there any way possible? God, that you can help her with a test. God, I'm asking for your presence to come. I'm asking for your love to come. I'm asking you to shower your child, that you would give her peace. Boom! And she falls out behind the register. True story before God. Now, I don't know about you. I'm like, oh, Jesus. So, you know that little box that says how much you owe? And I, I can't quite see her, and, and I just, I'm looking, I don't know what to do. And literally, I can hear her on the floor just shaking in Walmart. I'm afraid to go behind the counter because I think I robbed her. 
God, what am I supposed to do? I peeked. Got that little thing. And... Now, look, the women in the shopping carts behind me are freaking out. I mean, freaking out. Not a little bit. I mean, full on. Woo! Here they come to take him away. And I get here, and I get here, and I start to look, and she goes, Thank you, Jesus! Thank you, Jesus! Thank you, Jesus! Thank you, Jesus! Now, people are really freaked out, including me. I mean, this girl is going off. All I want to do is to get out the door. Remember I told you I walked by those registers? And I walked to the next register, and a woman said, hey. Whew, man. The presence of God has lighted me up. She said, I'm a Christian. My marriage is in trouble. You pray for my marriage. Already late. My wife's already going to be mad. Might as well really get in trouble. And I stop and I pray. All I want to do is get out. I get to the next, and look like these women are waiting on people. The woman walks away, next, next, next register, the woman walks away and says, hey, I'm dying of cancer. Will you pray for God to heal me? Go to the next register. I'm trying to get out. I'm really at this point, man. Like, all I want to do is hide. And the other person said, Can you pray for my husband? He's got this going on. And next thing I know, we're having full on revival in Walmart for one reason because God loved those broken people. See, what I'm saying is the church has to get to a place of radical obedience. Just say yes and amen. Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to have a plan. Listen to me. It's not for the preacher to do. It's for you. When you hear that voice, know that God's trying to love someone. My wife could tell you we had these stories over and over and over again. I'm just a dumb, fat redneck that said yes. And I know that God loves the broken world. He's waiting for us to step up. He's waiting for us to love. See, the thing with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I believe we focus on the wrong thing. I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a baptism of love. That God wants to fill us with his love to heal us. And he wants to pour his love through us to transform community. For some odd reason, in the beginning, God chose Adam and Eve. He chose humanity. You are part of that chosen generation. Your church is part of that chosen generation. Today's Pentecost Sunday. I'm just going to put it out there. How many of you guys have been baptized in the Holy Ghost? 
When's the last time you asked God to refresh you and refill you and baptize you in his love? Should we do it once a year because it falls on the calendar? I, should, I believe it should be a lifestyle. I'm going to put it out there. Respond if you want, if you don't. How many of you want God to baptize you afresh with his love that you can work in power? Stand up. If you don't, that's fine. There's no, there's no judgment. There's no condemnation. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I'm not a demonstrative person. I'm not demonstrative in my worship. But so many times when it comes to the things of God, we, we do the penguin, the, the penguin funnel. You know what I'm saying? Hey, God, give me this much. And then sometimes we say, God, give me this much. I'm telling you, God wants to give you I believe the greatest days ahead for the church start today. So how many of you guys want to receive? Father, right now we just come before you. Father, I pray for a fresh baptism of love. God, just like at Pentecost, Lord God, I'd ask that you would just begin to fill your, your children. Father, that you would just begin to fill Pastor Steve. Wow. Come, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Fill him afresh. God bless him. Bless him. Father, bless this church. God bless this church. How many of you can feel the presence of God upon you right now? Anybody feel it? Reach over to the person next to you and pray for them. We're called a body of Christ, we're called a family. The anointing is tangible. Listen to me. We need to pray and encourage one another. Father, again, we just come. Father, we wait. God, we wait for a fresh infilling of your love. We wait for a great infilling of your presence. God, help us love like Jesus loved. Bless them. God bless them. Bless them. Pastor Joe, does God want to use me more than you could ever imagine? Ready? I didn't have a title for this message, but if I could have picked one, it would be Give Me Vision. Let me see, right? I'm just telling you, I did not tell the worship team. I did not share anybody what I was going to share. And when they sang the song, I'm like, oh, Jesus, you're in the midst of this. Here's what you need. You need to pray, God, give me vision for my community. God, let me see what you see. God doesn't see brokenness. He sees restoration. God doesn't see sickness. He sees healing. Ready? God doesn't see poverty. He sees prosperity. We need to begin pray, God, let me see this community. Let me see my workplace. Let me see people at Walmart. Let me see people the way you see them. And then pour out the love he poured into you. Ask him to give you vision. I promise you he will. But you need to say yes and amen because here's a reality. All eternity for somebody waits on you. If you're serious about this, 
I mean this from the bottom of my heart. God is looking to explode in you and through you. Not to glorify you, but to expand the kingdom of heaven and plunder the gates of hell. If it's you, sing the song. Can you help them? give him vision. Father, give him vision. God, this is a prophetic church. They believe that you speak. God, give him vision for this valley. God, give him vision for this valley. God, fill him afresh. I don't know about you guys, man. I feel the presence of God lighting me up like a Christmas tree. He's trying to speak. Just open up and listen. But it's just as important as listening is saying yes and the details aren't up to you. The planning's not up to you. One step of obedience leads to another step of obedience that leads to transformation and advancement of the gospel. Quit trying to plan your way through it. And trust and listen. Amen. God, it's been a blessing to be here. Father, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for this body. I thank you for Pastor Steve. I thank you for Pastor Joel. I thank you for Katie. I thank you for Dr. Mel. I thank you, God, for what you're going to do in this vision. I thank you for the radical obedience that will come. God, the church will once again be known for its love for a lost humanity. That we wouldn't be seen as an adversary, but we would be seen as the agent of transformation for your kingdom. Father, I ask that you bless these people, not just today but every day in Jesus' name.